Welcome to a new episode here in the Startup Girls podcast today with Joanne Halpern, the Managing Director of the Hasselblattner Institute, New York. Joanne has actually helped a lot of individuals in finding their perfect path, their perfect career. And that's exactly what we will talk about today. You will learn how to develop a curiosity mindset, what exactly is an energy engaging map and how to create one. We will also cover the topics of fixed versus growth mindset the difference between comfort learning and panic zone and you will also discover what work view or life view means the power of bucket list and your personal board of directors so this episode is for you if you want to make your next step and create a life that you truly love so enjoy welcome joanne to the startup girls podcast all the way back to New York. Really excited to have you on the show today. Well, thank you, Alina, for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our interview. Really great. So, Joanne, I know um, that you're right now the managing director of the Hasselblattner Institute New York, and you help a lot of young individuals, you know, finding their way through life, through career, and um, yeah, giving a lot of advice for them. And before we start talking about that exact topic, I would just like to know a bit more about you, um, where you're from, how you kind of made your way to New York, to the Hasselblattner Institute. So I know it's quite a long way, but maybe you can share some, a little bit of your story um, and how you came to the point where you're at now. Okay, well, thank you, Alina. Yes, it's been a long journey, a very positive journey. Um, I guess the first um, connection is learning German. And um, when, I was, when I was younger and when I was in uh, seventh grade, we had to select a foreign language to start in the eighth grade. And I, you know, I, I chose French and German because we had to have two. Um, and I ended up getting uh, put into German because a lot of people wanted French and they wanted to balance it out. And that was probably one of the best decisions of my life because we had small classes. We, we learned German in, in small groups. We went on German walks through the city and, and that started my love of the German language and German culture. And then in college, I, I was able to teach German um, to undergraduates as a teaching assistant. And uh, then I received a Fulbright scholarship to go to Germany. And while I was there, the wall fell. And so this was a very, very exciting time. Um, and then I wanted to return. I, I mean, the Fulbright requires you to return back to the United States. But then I, I went back, did my master's degree at Harvard University and um, returned again to Germany on a Bosch Foundation uh, fellowship. And there, that took us to the Eastern part of Germany. So I was, I was part of really building um, a university. We, I was helping to build, uh, it was called the Hochschule Hat, and we built the international programs up for exchange. We created, created create exchange programs for students to study abroad and professors to teach abroad. And I'm going to fast forward a lot because this could take a long time. But um, when I came back, it was really challenging for me because I, I was I had been abroad for about six years. And I, I don't, No, I came back to New York and I was having trouble adjusting. Why am I having trouble adjusting in my own country? So I ended up writing my dissertation um, in about re-entry. 
And that was really exciting because I learned a lot about myself, but also why do people have um, sometimes have trouble coming back to their own country? And, um, you know, and then I worked in different, um, a few positions at university, actually just one other position after my dissertation um, at, at a university running the exchange programs of the university. And then I, I um, was hired to build, to build the German Center for Research and Innovation, which is a German government organization that was created um, to enhance the visibility of German research and innovation in North America. And there are five of these centers worldwide, uh, Moscow, Tokyo, Sao Paulo, New Delhi, and New York. And then while I was there, I started working with different organizations, including the Hasselplatner Institute. So I learned about the Hasselplatner Institute, learned about what they were doing in digital engineering, but also in design thinking. And that was fascinating. And so um, through my networking, which I'll talk about later in this, this interview, I got to know a lot of different people at the Hasselplatner Institute. And here I am. In every situation of life, whether um, we end high school, whether we end university, or whether even we are at a more advanced stage um, of our career, there are situations where we maybe feel stuck, where we are feeling unhappy, where we just do not know which step to take next. And I'm sure um, since you've also made so many decisions yourself and you also made so, met so many different people um, where you saw that. So what would you say, what is the best advice for someone who feels stuck in a life situation, which step to take next right now? Well, one of the things I would advise people to do, and of course, different people, Will, different things will work for different people. But one thing that, that's worked for me is to really adopt a curiosity mindset. What does that mean? Really go out there and talk to people, read. And when you're talking to people, really listen, ask questions, find out, find out what makes them tick, what gives them enjoyment, what kind of volunteer work they're doing. Um, because that might give you ideas about yourself and also be curious about yourself. Um, but, but being stuck might not necessarily be about your job, even though some people might think it is. It could be about other aspects of their lives. And so one of the things I also um, recommend to people is to create something that comes from a book called Designing Your Life by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans. It's creating a, an energy engagement map, which is really mapping out You, know, you could do it for a typical day, for a typical week. They often recommend doing it for three weeks, but maybe I would start the barrier very low. You want to start easy um, and maybe just look at a typical day and list the activities of a typical day and then create a bar graph of, you know, in, in order of time, like from the beginning of the day to the end of the day and See where is you know where is your energy engage and or engagement really high? Where is that energy engagement low? Um, so you're really looking at yourself and assessing yourself, looking inward. And when you do this, you start saying, oh, you know, there's there's a lot of these places where it's really high and where it's low. And then are there ways to reorganize the activities you're doing to you know maybe end the day more positively or to sandwich the activities that are low energy, but that you have to do between high energy activities or high engagement activities. And also think about when are you in flow? Because when you're in flow, you know, you're, you're doing things where you're so engaged and you even lose track of time. Um, are there any activities that you are in flow? And if they're not, 
then, you know, what I also would recommend is think about times in your life when you have been in flow. Um, you know, for, for me, for example, um, when I'm teaching, I am flow most of the time. Um, or when I was a child, you don't have to just look at now, you can look in your past. When you were younger, um, for me, when I was on the tennis court volleying back and forth, you know, you know, at the net volleying, you know, I was in flow. That was, that was, you know, and if you look at some of these activities, when you feel you're in flow, are there certain patterns that, that emerge and what are they? Are they things like, oh, when I'm with people or when, when I'm alone at my desk, you know, doing coding or when I'm, when I'm, you know, to find to figure out about yourself, you know, what really gives you that energy and excitement and engagement? Um, so those are some of the things that's more than one, but I, I think that those, those are some of the things that you could start with. The other is in, in design thinking, we call, there's something called bias towards action. And this idea of doing, you know, instead of sitting and moping and being sad about yourself or being stuck and just saying, I'm stuck, go out and really explore, talk to people. As I mentioned earlier with, you know, curiosity mindset, um, because you're going to get ideas and you're acting instead of just sitting. So, so I always recommend to, to do rather than just to be. But that's also depends on your personality. But that's what works for me. And Joanne, sometimes, especially when we feel stuck, we sometimes tend to wanting to find that solution first before assessing where we're at right now. So sometimes it's also more about, about finding out the questions that we need to ask rather than having the answers first. So what would you say, how do we learn to ask the right questions and to find the right answers afterwards? When I was talking about, um, you know, the energy engagement map, that is one of the areas that can help us really start to, to ask some of those questions. Um, so why is my energy low when I'm doing this? Or what is it that really engages me about this activity? So we're asking ourselves, we, and, and you mentioned, it was really interesting, you said, where are we now? And this is a very important part of, you know, in the designing your life, which, which I mentioned earlier, the, there's a, a book called Designing Your Life that I would recommend. And a lot of people are looking at the future and where you want to go. But first, you really need to accept where you are right now, not where your parents think you should be, your siblings, your classmates, your professors, your teachers. But you have to look at very clearly and ask yourself where you are right now and work from there. Um, and, and then the other thing is you, you asked about asking the right questions. Sometimes we, you know, we, we keep ourselves in a vacuum and try to ask the questions from, from our own perspective. Really important is to be working with other people, discussing with other people um, and seeing the kinds of issues that they're dealing with, because I think sometimes their ideas rebound back on, on us. So, so I think that that also will help us um, ask these, these questions. Absolutely. I think also asking people from very different backgrounds to just give you a, a new perspective on things that you could never thought of yourself, right? Because you kind of always live in your own bubble. And then sometimes you make decisions based on your bubble, right? Which can sometimes be good, which can sometimes be bad. And kind of stepping out of it 
maybe stepping out of the comfort zone, which we'll also maybe talk about later a bit more. And this will actually enable you to get really new perspectives and learn new things about yourself and about things that you maybe want to do in your future. What would you also say, um, what role does our mindset play here? Because there's always this, these terms of growth and fixed mindset, right? Um, so maybe you could uh, elaborate a bit more on, on those terms, but how do you think, can we also make sure to accelerate that growth mindset every day? Because I think we, we sometimes, although, you know, I maybe have a growth mindset um, all over, I maybe have fixed situations also in my life where, where I cannot accelerate my growth mindset. So how can we actively implement that um, in our daily life? People with a fixed mindset often believe that intelligence, talents, and abilities are fixed traits and unlikely to change. They believe that talent leads to success and effort isn't required. And I'll give you an example. So maybe attitudes towards foreign languages. Some people will say, oh yeah, Joanne's really good at foreign languages. She, she's just a natural and I'm just not good at it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus on something else. Maybe I'll focus on mathematics or uh, so. so Fixed mindset is that's an attitude, a fixed mindset attitude. You know, people with a fixed mindset will often say, I'm either good at it or I'm not. Or when I'm frustrated, I give up. Or my abilities determine everything. Or when I fail, as I mentioned earlier, when I fail, I'm no good. Um, or even if you succeed, I feel threatened. I mean, these are fixed mindsets ways of thinking. Um, And people with a growth mindset believe that talents and abilities can be developed over time through effort and embracing challenges. They believe that effort affects their success. So they put in that extra time leading to higher achievement. Um, you know, Michael Jordan is a, is a perfect example. I think when he first tried out for his, his high school basketball team, he didn't even make it onto the team, but he became one of the best basketball players in the world. He kept practicing and working at it. And, and you might be thinking, Am I fixed or am I growth? But we're really not one or the other. Most people are somewhere on a continuum, you know, in the spectrum of between fixed and growth. And in some areas, we might have more of a fixed mindset. In some areas, we might have more of a, a growth mindset. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes, you know, I also feel like sometimes I even tap myself that I'm having a fixed mindset right now because I'm in a situation where I just feel like, okay, I'm, I'm just not good at that, you know? And how, what would you say, like, how do you react in such situations yourself in kind of getting that growth mindset back in order to actually achieve what you originally wanted to achieve where maybe you're like you know like your habit for example like kick back in thinking that you can't do it and you, you kind of get stuck again okay well i think you you actually answered part of the question yourself you become aware that you're you're having right now you have a, a fixed mindset so so just that that awareness of it is one one aspect the other is you 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 mentioned earlier about comfort zone and i think one of the things we have to to approach is working outside of that comfort zone you know we have our comfort zone and then there's the learning zone some people call it the growth zone and then there's the panic zone and if we can push ourselves outside of that comfort zone. And it's easy to say, it's not always easy to do. And we can't just do it in everything. I always say, well, try one little thing. For me, um, I was very shy as a child, as a young woman. And, um, but I love teaching. 
So I really pushed myself to work on public speaking. And one of the things you can do is maybe you don't want to go in front of a class right away or give a speech, but but maybe you can do it in a small way at a, maybe a birthday party where you just give a very short speech among friends and family, just congratulating the person whose birthday it is. So to find those micro changes, um, instead of trying, oh, I have to change my mindset, think about just one little piece and push yourself in that area to try a little, just a, a small incremental change. Um, and then, you know, then, and if that works, then you move to the next level. And if not, you try something else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I think it's totally about um, the, the small steps. I, I can I can also actually really relate because as a child, I was also super, super shy. I did not really want to talk to, to people because I was just super, I don't know, I was afraid. And um, then actually, like when I when I was in high school, I um, kind of started to, to find out that I actually love presenting. And that's why every time I was given the opportunity to do a presentation um, out of like my, my free will. So I didn't have to do one, but I always challenged myself and in going into those situations and it were like really small steps that I took. And now, you know, I, I do this podcast. I moderated a lot of events already, but it's the small steps you exactly like mentioned that also leaded me to become better at it every time I do it. Right. And it's always, I think also, going like having that like really feeling that you just went out of your comfort zone and the feeling you have afterwards I for me it's always the best feeling you can have right because you know you did something for yourself for your personal growth and your personal abilities to come a better become a better version in the end of yourself right so that's super great yeah and, and also when you go each time you go out of that comfort zone if you think of it as like a bullseye, like let's say put yellow and maybe green around the yellow and then red as the panic zone. So you have comfort zone yellow, um, learning zone green and panic zone red. And, and the more you go into that learning zone in a certain area, the bigger the comfort zone will become. So if you start doing public speaking, the first time you're going to be panicked and your first talk might be terrible, but the next time it'll be a little easier. Or think about it, if you're going to interviews, um, you know, I had my, I, my first interview for one of my first interviews I ever had was for my Fulbright scholarship. It was a terrible interview. I didn't prepare correctly. I didn't really understand enough about how to prepare. And I did get the scholarship, but I, I'm guessing it was pretty close call. And so, but you know what, the next interview I was prepared. I knew how to pray. It wasn't perfect, but each time I've done interviews, I've gotten better at it. So I think that that's one of the areas that, that you can always improve on and you can get that comfort zone to become larger. Um, and what initially was in the growth or learning zone becomes part of your comfort zone. Totally. Um, and that actually also fits really nice to thinking about how you work and how your life should be because in order to achieve those things you also will eventually probably have to leave your comfort zone here and there so i would actually like to ask you for the next part joanne how do we actually also kind of 
identify um, or, or what can help us um, to, to know, okay, how is our work view and how is our life view? So why do we actually work um, and why do we actually live? So maybe you can el el um, elaborate also on those two terms a bit more and then um, tell us how we can go forward in, in, in knowing how we want those two parts basically for our future. Oh, well, well, this idea of work view and life view, also, um, again, this Designing Your Life book, Designing Your Life, they go into that in a whole section about work view and life view. And um, what it's really doing is helping you understand what your values are. Because when you're going into your career or in your life, you want to be aligned. You want to have who you are, what you do, and what you believe to be aligned. It's not going to be like that for our entire lives, because there are going to be certain issues like we might have a parent who's ill and we can't live in the place we want to live where we want to work or um, a spouse or a child. So there are many issues that will um, deter us and make it more difficult for us to, to do exactly, to have everything aligned all the time. But um, you asked about work view and life view. So, so what Bill Burnett and Dave Evans is, they, they actually have created a series of questions um, about like, For, for the work, you know, why do we work? Um, what does work mean for, mean to me? Those are just two examples. And, you know, and, and really asking yourself, you know, what does work mean to me? Why do I go to work? Is it just about money? Is there something else? Because we want to be, we're spending most of our time when we're, we're in our work. And so does it give us meaning? Does it align, you know, with our, our values and purpose? And the same thing with life, you know, what is, you know, why are we on this earth? Um, but also one of the questions I thought that was really interesting that they ask is, you know, what is death? What is the role of death? And thinking about that also helps you understand what, what is important about life. Um, sometimes people ask me when we, we discuss this in the groups, well, why do they have that question about death? And, and I think it really clarifies what's important to you. And, and as many of you No, we, we often, when people are dying, we often spend more time with them and real quality time with them. Well, why don't we do that before then, before they're, they're about to die? Um, so, so these questions in the life view and, and work view really help us to understand our values. Yeah. And I, I think um, therefore we can also uh, create something which is called like a bucket list or an accomplishment list to also like really emphasize again what is actually important to us. And it, it sounds a bit fearful maybe, but, but what do we actually want to do before we, um, before we die, right? Before we're not able to uh, create impact on this world um, together. Um, and so on so um how um do you go about like creating such a list and and uh you also because we also did an did an event together and and you said okay you should also add some crazy things to this list right um so what is actually the beauty of this this, this bucket slash accomplishment list well first of all um a bucket list really has you I, I have people write it down, not just think, put it in their heads because writing it down makes it you know, more impactful and meaningful and for many people and also they'll remember it more easily. And when 
we have them do a bucket when I have them do a bucket list, I ask them to do, you know, it can be travel, it can be, it can be the it can be work things, it can be travel, it's it's about your whole life. Um, you know, what do you want to accomplish before you die? And why is it called bucket list? Because we often say to kick the bucket means to die. So that's why we call it a bucket list. And there's actually a movie called The Bucket List out there. And um, I use that bucket list for the students or the or whoever I'm working with, it's, it's not always students, um, to help them think about their odyssey plan or the next five years of their lives to fill in that odyssey plan, which is a whole nother subject, which we might go into. Um, but when, when they're thinking about the next five years of their life, their bucket list can fit into different areas. And, and I always talk to them about, you know, each of those five years, there should be something big, like a milestone in each of each of those years. Again, I want to give credit to the designing your life book. This isn't my invention. And, and so that bucket list helps you to really think about what are those things you want to achieve. And you don't have to put all of them in the list in the, in the five-year plan. And then you asked why three crazy, why three crazy things? Because thinking about, you know, and even in design thinking, thinking about those crazy things makes us more innovative. Um, when we're trying to be innovative, the first few things that come to mind or the first 50 are usually have been thought about by someone else. And in terms of your life, you know, also the first 15, 20, 30 things might have you've already thought about before. Um, but maybe those crazy things are going to help you be even more innovative and and go out and do things that you've nearly never thought possible. I mean, for me, I never thought about the foreign service, you know, in my life. And um, and that would have been a perfect career for me. But when I was younger, I didn't really, I, I stayed in my own circles. You know, my mom was a scientist. My father was in business. I didn't really go beyond. And, and, and what I'm encouraging people to do is, is to talk to people outside those normal circles that you're in, because you might get these really, really fantastic ideas of careers that you've never thought even possible. They're not even on your radar screen. And, and so that's why those crazy things, and maybe the crazy thing is, um, I don't know, being a barista in the Bahamas, and, and you probably won't end up doing that. Or maybe you will, I don't know. But what thinking crazy ideas and, and putting those crazy things on your bucket list will push you farther than those normal things. And that's the idea, is to really push you more beyond what you're thinking. And then also um, in, in terms of um, making your first steps in, in achieving a goal that is maybe still like quite far away for you, for example, like writing a book, how can we actually create those prototypes, create those systems that allow us to really um, become that goal, let's say, right? Because sometimes it's, it's, it's like, especially if we kick off a new year, right, we make all these crazy crazy goals and then sometimes we're like super stuck and we're like okay but how do I actually achieve that goal and it's kind of allowing us to create those systems to do so so maybe also you feel free to share like a personal example of yours how do you think we should create those prototypes in order to achieve the goals that we set ourselves yeah well, well you mentioned writing a book so that's a good example we can use because I actually did that in my personal life um so what you what you do is you can make a list of earlier in this interview we talked about incremental changes. So what I did for my writing a book is 
I started with, I created like a mind map and just made a list of different things that steps that I wanted to do before I actually started writing the book. Um, I did informational interviews with people that had written books. Okay. And this is this idea of informational interviews, really talking to people for 20, 30 minutes about their own careers, about what they did. This is an advice, advice for anything, not just writing a book. Um, so I, I did some informational interviews. I networked with people, asked people in my network, do you know any publishers? And somebody in my network introduced me to a publisher just to talk it to the publisher, not to ask that person to be my publisher, but I wanted to learn more about what that's, what it's about. Um, do I, how do I find a publisher? Um, so I talked to people that are currently writing books and asked them about the challenges, about you know, what's gratifying about writing a book. Um, so I learned from them. And then I also listened to TED Talks on writing books. I read a book uh, called Bird by Bird about writing a book. Um, actually, I read two or three books about writing a book. And, and now I'm actually writing a book. And as I write, I'm continuously reading and listening to podcasts, listening to talks, because while during the process, I also need input and ideas and just getting my creative juices flowing. So, so those are some of the things that, so that you really, you may, I made a list, basically I made a visual, so it was more of a mind map, but visually with different steps. Also going to bookstore author readings, I did that too, listening to authors talk about their books and then going outside my comfort zone and at the end, going up to them and talking to them. So also talking to people, so authors that I didn't know, not just people in my own network. Because again, we often tend to just keep going to the people in our networks and we wanna go beyond our network to really become more creative. And also thinking about your networks, especially those of you who are shy, your family is part of your network and your family's kind of stuck with you. So don't hesitate to ask your parents, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, they've got networks too, and ask them to introduce you to people. Um, that's that's definitely a, a good way to proceed. And, um, to, and a follow-up question for that, especially um, making that time for also once you already started and then making that like that active time to keep learning to keep getting new insights like how do you do that like how do you implement that in your like daily routine that you know okay maybe in the evening i have one hour to continue reading um a book on how to write a book um so how do you do that in your own life so i do something called time boxing so i create a schedule um for every day and what i want to achieve Sometimes I'll do it the night before. I don't always do it the day of, but I make a list and I, I allocate time for each activity. And I also allocate breaks. Um, I even have a little trampoline in my, my um, apartment when I'm working at home that I just even take two minutes just to jump on my trampoline because it's like, that's my switch to the next activity so that my mind is, okay, you're finished and you go to the next activity. It also helps me because it gives me an, a, a deadline, basically a I'm, I have to finish, I give myself, let's say 40 minutes or it depends on the activity, but I, I make that time and say, okay, in, in 20 minutes, you're going to be done. So you got to really push yourself to do this now. And so I time box my entire day um, and then take breaks in between. And that helps me with um, accomplishing more. I, that, that gives me more time in the end so that I have time. And I put in one of those free time activities as well. When do you usually do it? Do you do it more like towards the evening or in the morning? Do you have like a also like a fixed schedule for time boxing that in, or is it always like depending also how your day looks? 
Um, so the time boxing is like listing all those activities with the amount mm -hmm. of time for each. And, um, and the activities like reading, I usually do before I go to bed or on the weekends. Um, so I, I have certain times that I do. Um, and then in the morning, I do the things that are the most challenging for my work-wise because mm -hmm. my focus is, is the best. But I always run every morning. So I have certain activities that I always do. And one is every morning before work, I run because that gets my brain ready for the day. I feel better. Um, I'm more energetic. My brain works. My running is, is critical for me or some kind of athletic activity. And I try to have um, those kinds of patterns within my day. We already kind of also talked about um, like really going out and talking to people um, accelerating your your network and so on. And you actually brought up this um, this concept of building a personal board of directors. So I would just like to ask you, what what is that? And how do you build one? And how does it actually, or how can it help you to achieve your goals also? So, so this idea of personal board of directors, I also sometimes call it the personal advisory board. Um, and And there are people on this board that help. So when you, if you think about um, companies, it could be nonprofit, for-profit, they often have a board that helps them move forward in their goals as a company and gives them new ideas. Also, it monitors them as well. Um, but in my, in, so when you're building your personal board of directors, some of the categories of people that I like to have like on my personal board of directors are people that can help me with career support, emotional support, Remember, we we are not a vac. We don't live in a vacuum. We or we try not to. But the people, the emotional support is also important. It can be husbands, wives, partners, um, also friends. Um, and and my emotional support network has helped me a lot, especially in times when things are challenging. Um, also, financial advice. Um, people on your board that can help you, especially those of you who are going to have global careers. There are a lot of issues like if you've been working in several countries, tax issues, retirement. Um, so financial advice. Another area is who, who, who on your board can help you gain access to other professionals or even help you, you know, learn about new things that are going on, like new volunteer opportunities or activities in your area um, or online or lifestyle advice, perhaps, um, you need someone to help you. you can't get yourself up in the morning or in the afternoon and exercise. Maybe you need a trainer or maybe you just need a, uh, an exercise buddy um, or skills training. You know, sometimes I, I advise people if they, if they have an idea of what they want to do in their career or their next career step, look at the job ads and see what kind of skills do they require and where are the gaps between the skills that you currently have and the gaps and the, and the skills that they're looking for. And how can you get that training? It might not be the person herself or himself, but it might be um, somebody that can guide you to maybe online courses that are really good um, to help you gain those skills. Also mentorship. Is there someone on your board or several people that can act as your mentors um, but also think about being a mentor yourself because it's very, it can be very rewarding. Think about, you know, you've probably heard of runner's high. There's something called helper's high and, and helping another person or supporting another person in their career or in their life. Um, and I've, I've done that. I still do that a lot. And for people all over the world, and it's what the most rewarding is when, when I've, I've supported them and they've 
gotten a new job from my support by having connected them to someone, or if they've written an article. Some of my students, I teach also at New York University, um, and I love to hear when my students have written an article or have gotten a job. So, so those of you who aren't doing it, let your former teachers and professors know what you're doing. I think that a lot of them will really appreciate it and, and thank them later. I, I went back to my German teacher from high school and we're, we, we have, she and her husband and I meet every two months or so for dinner. Um, you might not be in the same city or country as them, but, um, let them know what an impact they had on your lives. It was, if it was a positive impact, because I think it'll make a difference in their lives. Um, so, so with the board of directors, um, you know, those are some of the areas, um, you know, emotional support, financial advice, access to other professionals, lifestyle advice, skills, training, mentorship, and career support. Those, but there are more, um, but, but having a board of directors also, as we talked about earlier, gives you different perspectives. You don't also want people on your board that everyone thinks like you. You want a variety of people in different areas um, that that are going to also push you to do things that you may, might yourself not realize that you're capable of doing. And I have somebody on my board who said, Joanne, you should apply. She's always telling me to apply for jobs. And some of those jobs, I think, well, that's way beyond my ability. But the fact that she's pushing me, I don't always apply for those jobs that she tells me about. Um, but it's what, what it's done for me in my life is it's gotten me to apply for jobs that are much at a much higher level than I myself thought I was capable of. So you need those people that think big on your board. And um, maybe also a few words because you mentioned mentorship. And sometimes I have the feeling when, when kind of people um, approach it or they hear about it, they're like, mentorship you know there's that there's like this there's like this huge topic and then maybe um from from like trying to find a mentor to actually setting up a routine maybe also feel free to yeah, share, share of your own life or for like from students you've heard of how do they you know kind of set up that routine of maybe like um checking in on a regular basis with people how they kind of build up that structure maybe you can also share some advice and you kind of heard uh, or, or had from that that part yeah no i think um you know mentorship can be very individual depending on, yeah. on who you are and there are some people that are very very structured about mentorship and there's so many books on mentorship some are very structured where they have a regular check-in time either every week every two weeks every month and um and there are others who are very have very loose mentorship relationship and And for, for me, you know, I, I've tried both. And for me, I, I like the more, um, the less structured um, way of, of having a mentor where I approach them when, when I think that they can help me. And, and then they'll contact me sometimes when they just want to check in on me. Um, but I've seen a lot of other, for many people that doesn't work because then they lose touch with each other. So it, it just depends on your personality and how self-motivated you are and how interested you are in this mentorship. I don't think it should be forced on people. Um, I think it should be um, discussed also at the beginning. And there are, there are many rubrics of, you know, how to set it up. And, um, you know, they, there are many different um, books about that and articles. So I'm not going to spend now, I could talk about for hours, but these are just, but, but I guess my message is there are different mentorship um, possibilities and you have to figure out what works for you. And it might be trying and failing before you find the right one. 
And that's maybe the message we can leave with is failing is okay in life if you're learning from what you're, those failures. Um, and, and our education system doesn't always teach us that, you know, it's, but, but in design thinking, we often say fail fast, fail forward. And I look at that as learn fast, learn forward. I think that's a great um, sentence to, to end this um, podcast um, episode, Joanne. Thank you um, a lot for joining me for this, um, for this episode. I, I think it's, it's a huge topic, um, but I think you've given a great overview and actionable steps of um, how people can, can go through and, and make their next step um, possible. And I totally agree which, with what you just said um, at, at you, within, within your last sentence, just going and doing and trying out things, failing and learning and not making the exact same mistake. I think that's sometimes we're so afraid of failing, right? And, of, of, and also like admitting those failures in the end and talking about them openly. But it's just, I think, also a way of supporting each other that it's okay. And that we also sometimes need to make that to get like three next steps ahead afterwards again. Well, thank you, Alina. It was truly a pleasure speaking with you. Great. Well, then I would say for everyone who listened until here, thank you so much. And I'll see you and the next Monday again. Thank you. Bye-bye.